Did you soak in the words to that song we just sang? I mean, really. Those words are exactly, in my opinion, what we have been trying to do here at Summit Ridge for the past few weeks in this series that we've entered into, Identity in Christ. That, is, that song is a beautiful... I, I, I don't even have to preach. And some of you said... You know, I'm testing you, right? And, and you have failed. Um, that song, to me, as I was listening, I stopped singing just to read the words there, to soak that in, um, because it is so powerful. Just, we're called, we're anointed. Um, that is beautiful. Do you know that, of course you know this, but do you really know this? That we have a Savior that loves us more than we could ever possibly know. That we have a God who is so in love with us that there was nothing he did, that He wouldn't do, including even holding back His own Son to come and to die for us. Also that we could be with Him. Also that we could have life with Him. Also, that we could have salvation through Him. I, and that's why, in some ways, I, I get it that there are people who believe that, well, that's just one way to God. Let me just say this, brothers and sisters. If that is just merely one way for us to get to God, then God is a cruel God. To sacrifice His Son just so we could have another way. That's a cruel God. Jesus, I need you to die just so we can provide just one more way for people to come to me. I can't accept that. I cannot, cannot accept that. that. That God would just provide another way. No, no, Jesus isn't another way. Jesus is the way. Definite article, the. And I, I don't mean that in a judgmental way. I mean that in a way that says God loved us. That Jesus' coming was all about giving everything, his very all. There is nothing more that God could give. Nothing. By the way, there will be no new plan of salvation. Jesus is it. He is the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end. This is everything, y'all. I got a little bit of Southern in, in me today. Y'all. I'll try to work in some Midwest stuff um, as well. But for right now, you're getting the y'all. I mean, this is it. And if that's not enough, I don't know what will be enough for all, for all of us. I really don't. And this is why I am just, in, it never ceases to amaze me how awesome our Savior is. Just when I get to the point of thinking, yeah, there's nothing new. Oh yeah, there is. Oh yeah, there is. Just when I think, God, how much more can you show me that you love me? Oh, let me, let me, Dan, I got a lifetime, your lifetime to show you. Um, I, I just want you to understand that that's what I just gained from that song. That's a sermon in and of itself. That's what I mean by that. That's a sermon in and of itself. And so our God is so good. I love the words that C.S. Lewis wrote in the Chronicles of Narnia when the kids were going to go meet Aslan, and Aslan is the God figure. He's the mighty lion, right? The lion of Judah, so to speak, right? And, and, and they're going to go meet him. And the kids ask, 
um, is Aslan safe? That's what they ask. Some of you who are shaking your heads, you know what the response is. And the response is, no, he's not safe. Aslan is not safe, but he is good. But he is good. Let me just say this, brothers and sisters, and we're going to find this out a little bit today in my sermon, that the Christian walk isn't always safe. But the God whom we walk with is good. Is good. So good. Okay, time for my message. (laughs) Weezy's clapping. Let's just stop. Um, (laughs) um, Anyways, this is why we're doing this series. This is why we're doing Identity in Christ. That's right there too. Um, Identity in Christ. For the entire year, we have to know, we have to realize who we are in Jesus Christ. This is foundational. This is so important. I've shared this before and I'll share it again for so many reasons, but here's one reason, because what we ascribe worth to is what we will most likely worship. That's why this is so important for us to get a really good foundational understanding of our identity in Christ. This morning, I'm really excited about this message, personally. This morning, the the title of the message is, I Am Called. I don't know about you, but in my experience, not only as a follower of Jesus myself, but as a pastor who is pastoring others who are seeking and are following Jesus themselves, perhaps the, one of the biggest questions I get, or one of the biggest questions that I have wrestled with, is what is God's call on my life? How many of you have wrestled with that? Right? What is God's, what God am I supposed to get married is that, are you calling me to get married? God, are you calling me to remain single? God, are you calling me to get this job? Are you calling me to move to this area? Are you calling me to buy this car? God, and we even get it down to the minute stuff. Jesus, are you calling me to buy this sweater today that's on sale for, that I've been looking at for the whole time? Right? We get sometimes that detailed with it. We, I think sometimes as Christians, we get so wrapped up on that question of, God, are you calling me to do X? Are you calling me to do Y? That I think sometimes as Christians, if we don't have that figured out, for some reason, and I understand it, we possibly think that our lives are worthless. That our lives will be empty. That our lives will mean nothing if we don't get this question figured out. That's why I think we wrestle with it so much. I mean, we, I don't know about you, but I ask God about, God, are you calling me? And I'm just, search, give me a sign. And you know about you, but I'm the kind of guy that I would love, God, can't you give me the sign like you gave to Moses? I mean, you made it so obvious, right? A burning bush that wasn't burning, that wasn't consumed by its own fire. Now that's a sign. That's a sign that's unmistakable. Yeah, I think, God, you're telling me I need to go to Egypt. Yeah, that's pretty clear. Right? Gideon. Can't, can't we just do the Gideon thing? I got a fleece. I got plenty of blankets. Right? 
I got plenty. I can, I have blankets to spare, right? I don't know about you, but our family loves blankets. We have them on the couches. You just grab a blanket. It's great for napping. Sunday afternoon. You know that of which I speak of. And for those of you who look at naps still as kind of a chore and a burden, oh, I pray, I pray for God's calling on your life. <laughs> God, are you calling me to take a nap? Oh, yes, you are. <laughs> as I'm laying down, closing my eyes, praying the prayer. <laughs> right? I mean, couldn't I just take a fleece and throw it out there and say, God, tonight, would you please make this fleece damp and the ground around it really hard in Arizona, so that's why this miracle would even be better, right? I mean, and make the ground around it completely dry. And he does. And the next day, he say, okay, God, God, don't get angry with me, but can you do the opposite? Can you make the fleece completely dry and the ground around it completely damp? I mean, I'd love it if God would just do something like that, right? Just be so blatant with signs. Here's the problem, brothers and sisters, with those things. When Jesus when God gave them those signs, Moses and Gideon and others, they questioned the signs even then. It wasn't always enough, right? And so what I wish for, even if I got it, I'll be honest with you, I probably wouldn't recognize it as God giving me a sign. I am a very frustrating person. Huh. <laughs> At least my wife didn't say it. <laughs> oh, I just, I, and thank goodness for God's mercy, right? Thank goodness for God's mercy with me because I'm a frustrating person. I am stubborn. Of course, the opposite of stubborn for a good German like myself is when it's you know, good side of stubbornness is principled, <laughs> right? I'm principled. I'm not stubborn. I'm principled. Um, and I'll compromise on my, on my principles, right? No, I'm stubborn. I have unbeliefs. I have doubts. I have all those things wrapped up in me and more. That's just who I am. And so I, too, struggle at times with God's call. I, too, struggle at times, as maybe many of us, if not all of us, about whether or not God is calling me to do X, Y, or Z, or something else, whatever it is. I struggle with it. Well, today, brothers and sisters, I'm going to look at a passage of Scripture, and here's what my hope is as we look at this passage. One is, I hope that we will gain some clarity as to what it is that we can know because we are called. I'm going to start off with that. And then I want to end with what I think God is calling each and every one of us. What his call is. I want to start out by knowing what it means for us to realize that we are called and then end with what is that call. Does that make sense? And the reason why I'm doing it that way is because that's the way Paul wrote it. I, I can't help that. Okay, I got to go with what Paul did. And Paul's a genius, okay, in the way he wrote things. So I know there's a lot of intentionality behind what he wrote. And my hope is this, what if we could, as we go through this passage, could know what our call is regardless of what we're doing and where we are? 
How many of us would really like that? How many of us would really find that liberating? Yeah? Well, get ready. Because that's what I want us to look at today. Because I think what the Scriptures will share with us maybe will hopefully give us some clarity as to what God's calling is for every single one of us. Because here's the thing, whether or not you realize it, we are called. Okay? So the passage I'm going to look at today, we're just going to do three verses. It's going to be a short message. Um, Three verses out of Romans chapter 8. Beautiful passage, as we're going to look at. Beautiful passage. We're going to look at verses 28 through 30. Okay? And I want to start off with the idea again of because we're called, here's what we can know. Okay? So Paul assumes already that the people he's writing to, and we'll flesh this out in a little bit, that they know that they are called. And so here's what I want to start off with right off the bat. Here's what we can know because we are called. The first one is this. God is always at work in me. Let me say this again. God is always at work in me. Verse 28 in chapter 8 of Romans, Paul writes the following. And we know that. By the way, this, that little phrase there will flavor everything that comes after it in this chapter. And we know that. Period. Okay? And we know that. What is interesting about that phrase is a couple of things. One is, it is an active phrase. And I love that. It's an active phrase. In some ways, it gives that we are knowing that. Or we are always in the process of knowing. Or we already know. It encompasses all of those things. Which speaks in many ways, if you ask me, to the Christian life in general. That the Christian life, in case you haven't already realized it, is a journey. Is a journey. It is a process of being, uh, of walking with Jesus. It is a process. There is, there is a process that begins at the time that we choose to follow Jesus, and that process doesn't end until when? We are with Him in heaven. So that means this. While we are on this earth, we are constantly in process. We are constantly in the knowing phase, right? Which is why I want to say this to all of you. And and I've experienced this myself. Maybe you have as well. I'm always leery of people who have their theology, theology being words about God, theology being the study of God, theology being that of what we know about God as a result of the words that we ascribe to know about God, that they have settled on their theology And they have come to the conclusion, I know everything I need to know about who God is, and that's it. And they spend the rest of their life defending their theology. That is a dangerous place to be in, if you ask me. There are some things that are set, okay? And I don't have time to go into that today because, guess what? We're a non-creedal denomination. So we don't have a creed. We have a statement of faith. Okay, I don't go in there, but there are some things that are settled. Okay, there are some things we can know, but people, whether they're pastors or others um, who have just have their theology settled is a concern to me 
Because in some ways, they've stopped learning. They've stopped the process of growing. And and that's not what Paul indicates here in this phrase. We know that. Okay? And he says this. He goes on and says this. um, That God causes all things to work together. I'm going to stop right there. That God causes all things to work together. In other words, here's the thing. God is always at work, and he's always at work in you and me. He's always at work, and he's at work in you and me. Now, this is really interesting. The context in which Paul is writing this passage is to the church in Rome. And the church in Rome was made up of both Gentiles and Jews. And for a time, the Jews were kicked out of Rome by the emperor. Okay, And so the Gentiles went off and continued to meet and continued to do life together. Finally, after several years gone, the Jews were allowed back into Rome, and when these Jewish Christians came back to the fellowship, they discovered that the Gentiles had, dis- had kind of created their own rhythms of worshiping, of doing life together, of, of being a church. And as you can imagine, there was some angst about that. There was some angst over worship. Really? Should we be surprised? Worship wars are a real thing, brothers and sisters, right? They really, really, really are, right? Um, Trust me, they're out there. There are groups that believe we should have no musical instruments whatsoever, that this is an abomination, what you see before you. And there are other groups that are saying, you know what? Um, This is okay. And there are other groups that are saying the organ is the only approved item that should be up there, and we should only be singing hymns, and we should only be doing it in this way, all that kind of stuff. And there are others who say, no, 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 no. We, ha- we should have contemporary music and we should be all that kind of stuff. And it's, it's worship wars, okay? Worship wars. It's a real thing. They had some worship wars in this church in Rome. And not only that, because of what they were experiencing, the persecution particularly, that these brothers and sisters were experiencing collectively as both Jews and Gentiles because they were Christians. They were were thinking, oh, Jesus, please come. Please come and redeem your people now. We cannot continue with this persecution. This is really tough stuff. And so Paul is writing to them to encourage them. And I love the way he phrases it. He says, listen, you're not the only ones who are groaning about this. All of creation is groaning about it. It's, and I've shared this before, it's like right now we are in perpetual middle school. Already, but not yet. We are in this, do you remember what you were like in middle school? And what I mean not like, what you look like. I have a picture in middle school I will never show you. <laughs> and my family will not know where to find it. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a yearbook picture of me and I am embarrassed. The trans, I mean, oh, Lordy, Lordy, Lordy. Talk about, I mean, I am not the fine specimen you see before you today. (laughs) Um, ah, there's some transitioning going on, (laughs) right? I mean, it happens. Acne and greasy hair and just awful stuff. I mean, that's middle school. No wonder when people are asked what years they don't want to repeat, most of the people who are surveyed say middle school. I never want to go back to middle school. Oh, please don't make me go back to middle school. 
Those years are hard. That's transition years. Those are years in which you know that you're becoming something. You just don't know what that something is yet. You haven't fully realized it. You're changing and transitioning, and it's incredibly hard. Paul says, guess what? Not only are you wanting to finally be redeemed and get passed through this transition, but all of creation is saying the same thing right now. Oh, please, God, come. Settle this once and for all. And so he's encouraging them. And he's reminding them who they are in Jesus. And in doing so, he says, listen, y'all, you are called. And because you are called, you can know that, guess what? Jesus is working in your life right now. That's true then, and it's true today. Whether or not you realize it, Jesus is working in your life and in my life right now. We may not always realize it. We may not always believe it. We may not always accept it. But God is working in your life and in my life. He is working right now. That's first. Number two. What kind of work is he doing? It's this. God is working all things in my life for good. Because I am called, I know that not only is God at work in me, but he's working all things in my life for good. Paul says this in the rest of verse 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. By the way, that phrase, all things to work together, specifically to work together, is the Greek word that we get synergy from. It's working all things together. It's a beautiful little word there. And so he is working, and he's working all things in my life for good. What does he mean by all things? I looked up the Greek. I did my research. Here's what he means by all things. All things. What I mean by all things is the good, the bad, and the ugly. All things. Let me say this to you, brothers and sisters. If you do not already know this, I want to make sure you know it today. Life, not just the Christian life, but life in general, it can be really hard. And perhaps even as us as Christians, we may think that when things get hard, God is disappointed with us, God has turned his back on us, God has left us to fend for ourselves. And let me say this, what Paul is, I believe, sharing here is, I think, the same message for us today. God is not only at work, he is at work in my life in making all things good. In other words, even in the rough stuff, God isn't sitting there saying, oh, I'm out. Can't touch that. Whew. What did you do? That's pretty bad. Good luck with that. I'll catch you on the other side when you come out of it. No, no. God is working all things good in my life. All things. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And why does he do this? Because he loves us. Paul seems to identify what a Christian is in this passage. Did you catch that verse? Did you catch that little, little saying there in verse 28? He says this, to those, he says, are working together 
for good to those who love God. Do you know what a Christian is, according to what Paul defines here? A Christian is someone who loves God. That's a Christian. By the way, that word love is agape. It's agape. He is working all things in my life for good. If God is at work, that also means that God is working in every area, in every situation. God's wisdom or plan or thoughts have been in existence well before we ever existed. And he is working out everything for good. Let me just say this. I don't like to go through the tough stuff. I don't like to go through the bad stuff. I don't think God desires me to go through all that stuff, quite frankly. But because of the fact that we are sinful, because of the fact we live in a broken world, bad stuff happens. It happens not by anything I may have done, and it happens because of the things I have done. I get it from both sides. And you know what? Sometimes God's greatest work happens when I go through the tough stuff. That's when God, I finally see God showing up. Oh, you're still there. You're still there. I love the Psalms. David writes continuously about, my God, my God, have you forsaken me? Sounds familiar. How long will you be absent? How long will you be distant? And only to discover that God was with him the entire time as David is going through the tough stuff of his life. Let me just say this, brothers and sisters, if you are going through the tough stuff right now, God is working that for good. You may not know it, you may not even believe it, you may not see it, but He is. He is working it for good. He is doing it. Period. He is working in your life and in my life, and He's working all things for good. And, and, and particularly in the times that are the worst. If you don't believe me, we're coming into Holy Week. And I just want to remind you of Good Friday. The worst that could have ever happened. So let me get this straight, God. Your plan is to redeem the world by having your son killed. Seriously? That's your plan. You're going you're to allow your son... By the way, Jesus willingly did it. You're going to allow... Jesus, you're going to allow yourself to get arrested, to go through a sham trial because there was nothing they could charge him legitimately with. Right? He was innocent the entire time. And you're going to allow yourself to get beaten, mocked, have your clothes stripped of you, and then allow yourself to be nailed to a cross, which I love how some theologians, and I believe this, why do they bother nailing him? His love would have held him there anyways. You're going to do all that, Jesus. And that's your plan? Seriously? The darkest moments sometimes results in the brightest, brightest sunrises. I'm so grateful that the gospel doesn't end on Friday, but it ends on Sunday. That was his plan. Even there, 
He worked all things for good. It is just awesome. And that's what Paul is writing here. He is saying he causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And this is the third thing. So we now know there are two things we can realize that we know because we're called, that God is always at work in me and God is working all things in my life for good. Now here's God's call. Here's what it is. Are you ready? This is what I believe God is calling us. Here's your call. God, what are you calling me to do? Wrong question. It's more like, God, who are you calling me to be? Here it is. God is working to form me in the image of Jesus. God is working to form me in the image of Jesus. Now, I'm going to read you this passage. This results in some of the biggest theological discussions, some of the most biggest theological discussions we have in seminaries, churches, among theologians and pastors and Christians today. Here's what Paul writes. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, let me just say this real quick. There have been, oh, I don't know what's right, thousands of years of debate about what this passage means. So, by the way, I'm not going to settle it at all today by throwing in my two cents, or really, let's be honest, my half cents. I don't have much to offer here, except to say this. Is there, does God create people that he has predestined to be saved, and does he create people that he has predestined to hell? Which, by the way, on this other side, predestined to hell, that's, that's called a double predestination. You're welcome. Not only are you not predestined to be saved, you're predestined for hell. So you get a double dose of judgment. My response to that is no. In my reading of Scripture, in my understanding of who God is from what I read in Scripture, that is not what God does. That he creates people just so he can predestine some to be saved and others to go to hell. I just, that just flies in the face of everything of who God is and the motivation that he has. What it does mean, though, is that there is, and this is where he's very consistent, has he predestined groups of people? Yes. Israel being one of them. He predestined Israel before even Israel realized it, that they were going to be his chosen people. Yes. Has God predestined a group of people that are going to be for him? Yes. Absolutely. And by the way, that, that group has a porous border. There are some in that group can choose to go outside of it, and there are those who are outside of it who can go into it. Does that make sense? Okay, right? So here's the thing. God foreknew that there will be a group of people whom I will have who will honor me. Who will honor me? I know it. That's foreknowledge. And predestinate, I've decided it. One is knowing, one is decision. Okay? That being the case, you and I as followers of Jesus are a part of that group that he foreknew and predestined to be made in Jesus' image. 
In other words, our calling is to be formed in the image of Jesus. That's it. We're to be like Jesus. That's our calling, plain and simple. Plain and simple. That's our calling. So here's the thing of how this maybe can flesh out. Because you might be wondering, well, Dan, of course, duh. Supposed to be be like Jesus. That's my calling. But Dan, I want to know, is Jesus calling me to take this job? Here's how you can probably answer that question. Can you be Jesus at that job? If you can, great, go for it. Go for it. By the way, if you're looking to be a drug dealer, that's probably a... Yeah, let's just cap that off and say that's probably not something that you could be Jesus in, okay? Uh, But Dan, am I called to be married? I don't know. Can you be Jesus as a married person or can you be Jesus as a single person? The answer is yes. Sometimes, do you want chicken or do you want chicken? You can be Jesus in either of those situations. Your choice. Whatever one, it's your choice. Does that make sense? I think sometimes we have to reorient the question. It isn't about, Jesus, are you calling me? It's, Jesus, can I be you in this? And sometimes he calls us into hard situations intentionally because, I don't know about you, but I need some work on my life. I need a little bit more Jesus imaging made in my life. And sometimes the best way that happens is if I go through some of the tough stuff, kind of shave off some of the bad stuff that I know I carry around. Yeah. Jesus, are you calling me to be a parent? Or are you calling me not to be a parent? Can you be Jesus in either one of those situations? Yes. Have at it. Your choice. Your choice. Does that make sense? Our calling is to be made in the image of Jesus. And it doesn't matter where that happens. It can happen almost anywhere. Anywhere. So I love, I want to share and end with these two passages. And I love these two passages. One is Colossians chapter 3, 23 through 24. Paul writes this. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord and not for people. Knowing that it is from the Lord that you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Paul is simply saying, guess what? If you're a slave then work as though you're for the Lord as a slave. Be Jesus. Now, don't misunderstand me. Paul is not saying stay as a slave. He also says if you can be free, be free, okay? You can change. You're not locked in, okay? I mean, wherever we are, we can be Jesus wherever we are. That's our calling. It doesn't matter. And I also want to read and end with this. Jeremiah 29, verse 11. It says this. Jeremiah Oh, man, Jeremiah. I call him a weatherman from the Midwest. There was rarely anything good coming out of that man's mouth. And he knew it. He knew it. Right? But listen to what God says to Jeremiah. For, and we take this passage a lot, don't we? How many of you have heard this passage? Yeah. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for prosperity and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. And you look at the life of Jeremiah and you think, where's the hope? Where's the future? Where's the prosperity? Because we take this as American Christians and say, God wants me to be wealthy, successful, and healed. I don't doubt that to some degree, but that's not why you follow Jesus. You know what his plans are for us? 
to be like Jesus, to merge his life with our life. Paul said this in Romans. We just read it. He is the first one. In other words, what is Paul saying? That he is the first among brothers and sisters. He is the first one to be resurrected. He is the first one brought back to life. And because he is brought back to life, we who are his followers will also be brought to life. His life mirrors our life and vice versa. He is calling us to be like him. That's the plan of prosperity that God has for us. That is the future and the hope that he has for us is that we will be alive in Jesus because we are now made in his image. Amen? Do you believe that? And if you do, here's my challenge. Accept the call. Whether or not you realize it, Jesus is calling you right now. And all you need to do is say, yes, I'll do it. I'll follow you, Jesus. I'll follow you. I will follow you. Have me. Answer the call. If you're wrestling with God's call in your life, know this. God's call is for you to be like Jesus. And you can do that in almost any situation and surrounded by almost anyone. Yeah, but Dan, you don't understand my job I'm in. Well, maybe I might. Trust me. We all had bad jobs at one point. What an opportunity to be Jesus. Yeah, but Dan, you don't understand my marriage. Oh, I may. What an opportunity to be Jesus. But Dan, you don't understand my kids. Oh. <laughs> Guess what? They're a reflection of you. <laughs> oh, yeah. What an opportunity to be Jesus. What an opportunity to be Jesus. You don't understand my neighbors. What an opportunity to be Jesus. That's your call. That's my call. Let's embrace it. Amen. Amen. Father, you have called every single person because you love every single person. It's just so many maybe don't realize it. They don't realize, Father, that they are called, that they can be anointed, that they can be saved, that they can have life, eternal life with you, Jesus. I pray that if there's anyone here today that has not answered the call, that they would. That they would know how precious they are in your sight, Jesus. And I pray for those of us who have answered the call and are following you. I pray, Father, that you would just reaffirm in our own lives right now that calling. Not necessarily in the job that you want us to take or the person that you may want us to marry or in anything else, Jesus, but more importantly, the call to be made and formed in the image of you, Jesus. Father, place us. I'm just thinking, Jesus, how dangerous a prayer this might be, but I'm going to pray it anyways. Place us in situations where we can be you. Place us in situations where we can fulfill our calling that you've laid on our hearts. Let us be Jesus to so many. In your name we pray. Amen.